morning. I'll be reading John 6, 16 and 21. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because of the strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and come near to the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to him to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land of which they were going. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. And we want to be people who don't just hear it, but who are changed by it, who really receive it. And so we look to you, Holy Spirit, to open our hearts and our minds that you would help us see Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. So it's a really short and simple story, but a powerful story. We'll see, we'll see about the sermon. Uh, <laughs> I'm going for at least two, two, two out of three of those adjectives. I'll, I'll be satisfied with, if I can hit two out of three. Um, let's, just, let's just kind of track through the movement of the story itself. That um, It's a story that tells us first about our reality, the, the situation that we find ourselves in. And it's also a story that shows us something about Jesus' identity, who this is, and then... Finally, it models for us a response to Jesus based on his identity. Simple. Um, so, so first, let's look at what does this show us about our reality? You know, John gives us a picture of the disciples rowing on a storm-tossed sea. And this is a picture of the human situation. Uh, that we're not on land where everything is stable and where the horizon is clear and where the future is predictable, but we're actually, like, uh, quite vulnerable. <laughs> that we're out on the open sea and uh, hardly anything is in our control. Like, you never, you've been out on a boat on the sea. Like, it's a little freaky because uh, you never know exactly what's under the waves. And this is our reality. Like, we're journeying through life and our voyage isn't always smooth. Um, Look at how John describes this, this voyage. Verse 17, it was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. And family, don't you know that our journey can feel like that sometimes, that it can feel dark, that it can feel like Jesus is distant, nowhere to be found? Or do you believe deep down in your heart of hearts that if you are doing the life of faith right, it should never feel like that? And then when it does feel like that, dark, and like Jesus is distant, well, then you must be doing something wrong. Uh, I think what this shows us is no. Uh, the life of faith isn't a life where we're just moving um, from sunny day to sunny day, cheerful, happy, always just filled to overflowing with a profound sense of the presence of God. I mean, that would be a very different journey, wouldn't it? Sunny cheerful, 
moment by moment filled with an overflowing sense of the presence of God. No, um, here it's dark and Jesus feels far off. Verse 18, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. So it's not just dark, it's that the waves are rough, like they're pounding against the ship. There's a strong wind blowing, and, and this is their reality. This isn't a sunny day sailing across calm waters. This is a dark night of rough waves and gale force winds. This is an experience of low visibility and high instability and strong opposition. Like the disciples are journeying through a storm. I mean, it turns out that following Jesus is not a way to be free from storms. Sometimes you'll hear that. Sometimes, um, sometimes Christian teachers will teach that, that, that following Jesus is a way to be free from storms. Well, no, God allows them to come into our lives, trouble, sorrow, pain, hardship, where we can't clearly see the way forward, where we feel unstable and disoriented, where life feels unpredictable and threatening, and where it doesn't feel like we're making any kind of forward progress at all. And, and family, this is just a normal part of the Christian experience. Because it's a normal part of the human experience, isn't it? I mean, can you remember, I, I don't know about you, but like the, the past few years have been really disorienting just in terms of how I think about time. But can you try to remember what March 2020 felt like? You remember how everything just kind of came to a sudden halt because of this highly contagious virus that was spreading among us. And, and remember how out of control the world felt. How unstable, how disorienting, and how, um, I mean, do you remember how fearful people were and how panic kind of ensued? Like in a way, it felt like everything changed in March of 2020, but I mean, what really changed when you think about it? It's like the world has always had pandemics. Human beings have always been vulnerable to sickness and disease and death. Maybe what really changed wasn't the world, but our perception of it. It's like the pandemic stripped away our ability to disguise our vulnerability. It removed the illusion of safety. It reminded the world of what is true for all of us all the time, but that we just get good at kind of ignoring or, or hiding from the reality of it, that we are living life on the open sea. That we're always vulnerable to great dangers. That we're never really in control. In the passage right before this one, a passage that we'll look at more next week, the image isn't of a storm. Uh, it's of a really big picnic of like 5,000 people and the sun is shining, and Jesus is right there giving people what they really need. And, and so that's encouraging. That um, it's, it's not that all of life is stormy, thankfully. But if you look at ancient artistic depictions of the church, you won't find picnic tables. You won't find picnics. No, the church chose the symbol of a ship at sea. Gosh, I should have, for John Linder, if no one else, put some of these up on the screen for you. You can, you can Google this later. Ancient artistic depictions of the church as a ship. And uh, it, it said, like, this is the image that, that best encapsulates what our journey uh, of faith is like. Ship on the sea, not a picnic on the seaside. A ship in stormy waters. 
um, it found that image to be much more fitting and accurate for its experience of life, the church did. And this is even reflected in the architecture of old churches, isn't it? I mean, have you ever been into one of those really old cathedrals? You remember what they call the, that middle part? What's it called? Nave, which sounds like what? Navy or naval. It comes from the Latin navis. Same word. Uh, it's, it's hard to imagine this, I know, but if, if we had the chairs all facing in one direction, um, we have a little bit of a nave in this room, don't we? You could, you could imagine giant oars going out the windows. You could imagine us, imagine us rowing together through, through a stormy sea. Um, it'd be hard to row in this configuration. We'd move like in a circle and maybe that way, a, a, rotate, a rotating circle moving that way. Um, I wonder where you are with this. Like, have you embraced the reality that you are living life on the open sea? Or, now that we're three years removed from March of 2020, are you trying to just reassemble the facade of safety and security in your life? And what about your personal storms? Like, where are you feeling the darkness? And where do you feel that Jesus is distant or absent? And where are the winds and waves buffeting you? You look around, you see the chaos, and you wonder, like, how could God possibly be in this? Family life following Jesus includes storms. If you're not in one now, just wait. (laughs) This is our reality. It's life on the open sea. So that's, that's the first thing that the story shows us. It shows us our reality. It also shows us Jesus' identity. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. So Jesus, turns out, can walk on water. <laughs> uh, He's coming to them walking on the sea. Is this just a random miracle? No, it's not. Uh, Jesus doesn't do random miracles. Did you know that? Like, Jesus is never interested in just, like, impressing people, showing off, making people say, ooh, ah, wow, impressive. Jesus does not care about that. He doesn't care about impressing you. Um, Jesus uh, walks on water, and that is amazing, But his aim is not to amaze. His aim is to reveal. His aim is to communicate who he is through this miracle. So so what is the significance of this? Um, What is Jesus showing us about who he is? Well, remember that in the Bible, the sea uh, is associated with all these forces of evil and chaos and death. Um, and, and this is just kind of consistent throughout the scriptures. Like from the very beginning, we read about the watery depths when God creates and then he brings order out of chaos in Genesis 1. Um, the sea, remember, is what overwhelms the world when God sends the flood in Genesis 9. And when you get to the Psalms, we read things like in Psalm 69, the psalmist cries out, I have come into the deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. And this is not a good thing. This is not a good thing. Um, you can think of Jonah being sent to Nineveh, um, but uh, instead running from God. And where does he end up? He ends up like 
in the depths of the sea, swallowed by a scary sea monster, a big fish. <laughs> and one of my, um, one of, just one of the greatest, this has got to, I, you know, I'm waiting for them to do this one on The Chosen because it's going to be a great episode. But you remember Jesus cast a bunch of demons out of a demon-possessed man, and they go into a herd of pigs, and as soon as the demons are in the pigs, you remember where the pigs go? Right into the sea, because that's where the, that's where the demonic is. It's just, it's chaos, it's evil, it's, it's these untamed forces. For the ancients, that's what the sea represented. And so it's significant that at the very end of the Bible, when we get to Revelation, one of the things that we learn about the new heavens and the new earth is that the sea is no more. It's not because God hates water. It's like a poetic way of saying um, all of this will be dealt with once and for all. So in the Old Testament, um, think of some other stories. Like God is shown again and again to be sovereign over the sea, right? We have several stories of people parting bodies of water. Moses does it. He, he, when God is liberating his people from oppression in Egypt, Moses parts the sea so that the people can go through. Uh, Joshua parts the River Jordan so that the people can cross over into the Promised Land. Elijah and Elisha, they also both part bodies of water, the River Jordan. Um, but in the Old Testament, only God ever walks on the water. Job 9, verse 8, tells us that God alone stretched out the heavens and walked on the waves of the sea. Only God can walk on the water. It's not just a random miracle. Jesus is wanting us to see who he is. Um, it's a miracle intended to communicate his identity. This is none other than God incarnate. Well, this becomes even more clear when Jesus begins to speak. The first words out of his mouth are two words. In Greek, it's ego eimi, and it means I am. I am. Uh, remember, this is the divine name. This is how God reveals himself to Moses at the burning bush. Um, and here Jesus is taking those words as his own. His words and his actions are revealing his true identity, that here the disciples are encountering none other than the Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus is the I am incarnate who rules over the sea. But not only that, family, he is the I am incarnate who comes to be with us in our storms. Um, family, some of, you are, some of you are facing storms right now. The storms of relational brokenness, the storms of mental and emotional unrest, the storms of financial burdens that feel just too great to bear, the storms of physical sickness and pain, the storms of grief and loss and loneliness, the storms of um, habitual sin and the guilt and shame that comes from that. Some of you can't see your way forward in the darkness. The waves are rocking you. The wind is threatening to undo you. The sea, with all of its darkness and chaos and evil, just feels completely overwhelming. And look. Raise your eyes and look. Here comes Jesus trampling on the waves. Walking on the sea. 
Like there is no darkness so deep, no wave so high, no ocean so wide that Jesus cannot find you and come to be with you in the storm. What does he say? He says, I am, do not be afraid. Family, here is an anchor for your soul. I mean, here is one you can turn to and trust. But will you? Will you turn to him and trust him? You know, one of the things about storms is that they, they threaten our trust in Jesus. Like we think, if God were really good and if God really loved us, well then, he wouldn't let us go through storms. Or, or we think, if God is really sovereign over the waves, well then why are the waves so big and threatening and overwhelming? Why doesn't he tame these waves? If he really cares about the disciples, what are they doing rowing around in the dark for hours and hours in a storm and Jesus isn't anywhere to be found? Like stormy circumstances can make it really hard for us to trust God. Is he good? Does he love us? Does he care? Um, when we focus on the waves, sometimes it's really hard to tell. And so I want to invite you to remember the end of Jesus' life and to fix your eyes on that storm for a moment. The gospel writers tell us that when Jesus is on the cross, everything gets really dark. And it's like, I don't know what, it, I don't know what that means. Like if it was clouds, if there, anything, I don't know. But there's something important to see that Jesus comes there to be with us in an ultimate way in our darkness. It's like he's being thrown into the ultimate sea of sin and death so that so that one way or another we will travel safely through it. It's like on the cross, he's sinking to the darkest depths of our misery and woe so that we can be rescued. It's like Jesus is somehow taking it all onto himself and into himself, and he's burying it, and he's doing that for you and for me out of his love for us. That it's not just that his identity is God, it is, but it is God with us and for us in the worst storm imaginable. And so in a world full of uncertainty, and gosh, it is full of uncertainty, isn't it? It's so full of uncertainty. Here's one thing you can be certain of. The Lord's steadfast love for you never ceases. It does not come to an end. It will not come to an end. I wonder how you'll respond. The passage shows us something about our reality. It shows us Jesus' identity, and then it models this response for us. Look at our passage again. Once the disciples recognize that it is Jesus walking toward them on the waves, and once they get over their initial fright at seeing something so extraordinary, I, mean, I wonder how you imagine it. Like It's just like this maybe a shadowy figure emerging at first. Um, 
once they get over their fright, how might we expect them to, to respond? I mean, I don't know, like maybe, Jesus, like, where the heck have you been? Like, what took you so long? Maybe, Jesus, please make this storm stop and get us out of here. Maybe, Jesus, how in the world are you walking on water? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, John doesn't say any of that. Verse 21 is so interesting. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Literally, it says, then they desired to take him into the boat. You know, as we've been going through the Gospel of John, we've been seeing repeatedly that Jesus is someone who cares about our desires. You remember that? Uh, that, that early on, he asked those two disciples who leave John the Baptist and start following him. He turns to them and he says, he says, what do you want? What are you seeking? What do you desire? And at the wedding, Jesus shows himself to be the source of true joy, which is what we're really after. And he says, yeah, I can, I can give you true joy. And then at the well, he, he shows himself to be the one, the only one who can quench our true thirst. And then last week, you remember, he encounters the man at the pool and he says, do you desire to be healed? He doesn't just assume or presume that that's what the man wants. He cares about our desires. And over and over again, he offers himself as the only one who can satisfy them. Well, here John tells us that the disciples desired to take Jesus into the boat with them, and that's significant. We're not told that they desired the storm to stop. We're not told that they longed for better circumstances. I mean, presumably they did desire all of that. But John is drawing our attention to a deeper desire, like beneath that. And so notice that John doesn't tell us anything about the stilling of the storm. I mean, for all we know, it's still raging. Uh, technically, notice John doesn't even tell us that Jesus got into the boat with the disciples. He only tells us that Jesus made himself personally present to the disciples on the sea in the storm, and that when he did, they desired to have him in the boat. In other words, they desired to be with Jesus. And then what? Immediately, they've arrived at the land to which they were going. In other words, um, they wanted to be with Jesus, and they were there. You see, family, it's like that's the destination. That's the land. That's the goal. It's relationship with Jesus and in him and through him, relationship with the triune God. And Jesus is just coming to us in our storms, and he's offering that. I can't find any promises in the Bible about Jesus promising to make my life storm-free. I see one storm he, promise, he promises me that uh, I'll avoid, and that's the storm he experiences on the cross. And other than that, I don't see him promising that I'll avoid any of the storms that are just common to humanity. 
what I see Jesus doing is promising his presence in the storm. I see him promising that whether or not I have an experience of his presence. I see him coming to me in the storm and saying, I'm here. Do you desire to be with me? And inviting me to shift my desire toward that ultimate goal. What about you? Um, when we're living life on the open sea in a world so full of uncertainty, it's really easy for us to lose sight of what we truly need. Um, We think that what we really need is safety. Or we think that what we really need is physical health. Or, or we think that what we really need is a little bit more money. Like we think that what we really need is improved circumstances. Like we need the wind to die down. We need the waves to stop. We need the darkness to dissipate. And what the disciples somehow recognized in that moment is that they needed one thing. They needed Jesus. What about you? What are the storms that you're facing? Look, look, here comes Jesus, walking on the waves, inviting you to be with him. Let's pray.